0: Please take your copy of God's Word with me this morning as we turn into Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter eleven. We're returning to our study of Matthew's gospel, turning to Matthew chapter eleven this morning, and our text we will find is Matthew chapter eleven and verse twenty-eight. Matthew chapter eleven and verse twenty-eight. Again, returning to our study of Matthew's gospel, the title of our message this morning is similar to the song we sang just a few moments ago. Come to Jesus and rest in him. Our text is Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. So let's find our place in God's word. The Word of God reads, come to me, Jesus speaking, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, this is the word of God. Here we find in Matthew's gospel chapter 11, another of many key passages, key calls to discipleship. These texts stand out as clarion calls that Jesus gives that invites men, commands men, calls out to men to come to him and to follow him. As we see here in our text this morning, to rest in him and him alone. Jesus was never a bait and switch teacher. Jesus made very clear what it would require for those who would desire to come to him, to follow him, what he expected. He called people to follow him. Here he calls people to learn from him, to follow, to trust, and to rest in him as Lord, Savior, and Master. And friends, I want to tell you this morning that anything short of that, he did not regard as legitimate discipleship, legitimate saving faith, legitimate believing He did not coax individuals with lesser means. He did not try to twist their emotions emotionally or ask them to raise a hand or to give a token nod. He calls men to follow him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, he called out to Peter and Andrew, those brothers as we've seen, James and John. And he told them, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that text says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Again, another passage where we see is a clarion call to discipleship. We've already studied Matthew chapter 8 that parallels with Luke 9.57 of the would-be disciples. The almost disciples. One was too hasty. He said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Another was too hesitant and in Luke's gospel we see that another one was too homebound. For different reasons, for different purposes, they had a An initial response to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, but yet it was not lasting. They did not come and rest in Him. They rested in their mom and dad. They rested in property. They rested in emotions, which quickly dissipated. Just as soon as the desire came, it quickly went as well. Here we see Jesus again turning in this pivotal moment in Matthew's gospel, making it clear that those who are not willing to follow him with their whole heart do not really believe in him at all. Those who would desire to come to him as Savior, but not allow him to rule over them as Master, do not really want him. What they want is a a friend, what they want is a casual companion. What they desire is an occasional counselor that they can turn to when they need Him, but otherwise they have it. They've got their lives under control. What they want is a part-time life coach or mentor. We see none of those things that are in vogue today. That's today's modern usage of what men are looking for, what pastors aspire to give to people. But we see none of those things when we look into the Word of God. Here we see Jesus speaking for himself. And what we see here is that this call, these calls, this particular call is comprehensive, absolute surrender, wholehearted. John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus reminds those there present. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. These are the calls, the explanations, the teaching that Jesus gives, not just to the 12 apostles, but to those who are present anytime he teaches and preaches. So again, Jesus calls men to follow him completely, trustingly, savingly. As we look at this passage, just uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here in Matthew chapter 11, I wanna remind us that this is a key turning point in Jesus' ministry from Matthew's perspective. Matthew's been teaching us and leading us along and showing us the ministry, biography, and the works and teachings of Christ. But yet we've come to Matthew chapter 11, which is an unusual chapter. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 11, you'll find there, beginning 11, verse 1, John the Baptist has a, a crisis moment in his ministry. And so he sends messengers to Jesus to ask of him for affirmation, Are you the one that we preached. Are you the one please confirm that we should not be looking for another? We we studied that in depth and in detail. This is a turning point in the public ministry of Jesus in where people who love his miracles that Matthew has described for us in chapter 7 through 10, what we find here is chapter 11, they're turning from Christ. They are rejecting his claims. They will hear this teaching of Jesus and they will turn from it, not desiring his yoke and his Rest. Here, in fact, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus gives a public acknowledgement to the rejection of the many in the hometowns where he's been performing these miracles and where he's been teaching. Look verses 20 through 24. This is the Jewish rejection of his messianic claims, beginning there in verse 20. Notice how Jesus just calls out those who've had the light, the law of God, access to the claims of God. Notice how Jesus handles it beginning in verse 20. He says, Then Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of these mighty works were done. Where they were done. Because, notice here, they did not repent. They've seen the miracles of Christ. They've heard the teaching of Christ. Verse 21, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago. In sackcloth and ashes. What we have here is a, a comparison, a greater than, a less than. He says, you have seen much light. you've seen the witness of God, and yet you do not believe, and your condemnation will be great. If Tyre and Sidon, those wicked cities, had seen what you have seen, they would have repented already. And so he pronounces a judgment upon them. Then verse 23 Capernaum was Jesus' home base for operations according to what we find in Matthew Gospel. And notice what he says. He says, "In you, Capernaum, you who are exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. In other words, they would have repented. And they would still be here today and not have suffered the judgment fires of God's wrath if they had seen What you have seen. Then verse 24, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Friends, what is this telling us? What is this teaching us? Uh, Jesus is not shying away from the reality of judgment against unbelief. Jesus is making it clear you have seen, you have heard, you have heard, you have seen, and yet you will not repent. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus tells them, You will suffer for all eternity because you are rejecting the light that God has given to you. In fact, chapter 11, verse 25, what we find here is that Jesus then proceeding through this passage, setting up the context, is that Jesus then, to the open public present that day, begins to praise his Father. Here we find that Jesus is not shy regarding the doctrine of election. Here, Jesus gives praise and glory to his Father for his infinite wise counsel. Verse 25, notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes the wise in this context is i believe different than the wise that paul mentions in 1 corinthians chapter 1 talking about the same topic but a different angle here i believe he's referring to the wise are those who've heard and seen and been exposed to the mighty works and ways of christ and yet there are those who simply hear the message of jesus the halt the maim and the blind those who are burdened with sin and yet they come and say have mercy Upon me. These are the babes that Jesus is referring to. They see their need for Christ, God's sovereign grace. Look at verse 26. How does Jesus feel? Notice what he says, Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. This is your sovereign will. This is your good pleasure. This is your gracious work. Now, notice what Jesus goes on to say. He says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father and no one knows the son except the father nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son reveals himself to here we see that the background of salvation a commentary on unbelief and belief and those who harden their hearts against god and those who humbly submit to god's plan for salvation here in this passage we see Jesus makes an unmistakable declaration of the sovereign grace of God in salvation. Friends, I want to remind us it's given by the Lord. He's not ashamed of it, and we shouldn't be either. Here Jesus praises his Father for his wise plan of redemption. So now as we look into God's word verse 26, notice again, "Father, it seems good in your sight." As we come to our text, verse 28, we find that Jesus then turns and he shows us a model for right theology and right methodology. The gospel call is for all who hear. The gospel is to be preached to every creature under heaven. By the way, teachers and students and teens and kids in Adventure Club, this is interesting, isn't it? This was our theme. This is an interesting moment in the life teaching moment of the church where the Sunday message coincides, dovetails, with the lesson that's being taught in Adventure Club. And this is exactly what we're learning. How the gospel is to be heralded and declared to every creature under heaven. But why is it that not everyone responds And looking at the doctrine of election? Well, here this is what we find. So Jesus turns, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here we see Jesus is the gospel preacher. Jesus is not preventing men from coming to him. Jesus is calling men to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, this passage is the only passage in the Gospels where we see this particular passage of Scripture. This is not in the other Gospel records. Matthew here gives us a glimpse, a portrait of Christ that is absolutely stunning. It is absolutely beautiful. This text does not just show us what Christ does, but hear me, please. It shows us who He is. Do you know Christ as He is? We know about Him. We know what he's done. Those things are good and right. There's nothing wrong with that. But here is one of those heartbeat texts that shows us his nature. It shows us a glimpse into his personality and person linked with his call upon our life. This morning, we'll frame our thoughts briefly around these three points. Number one, a saving call, verse 28. Number two, a sanctifying command And then number three, a satisfying promise. A satisfying promise. Number one, first of all, I want you to note a a saving call in verse 28. What we find here in verse 28 is the greatest call ever given to mankind. There have been many calls throughout the church history. There's been many famous sermons preached. There's been many invitations given, extended to individuals. But this right here is the greatest of all. Verse 28 is the saving call that Jesus extends not only to these present here that day in Matthew's recording, but to all who hear, to all who read of this text and hear it preached. This is Jesus' clarion call to us here even this morning. This is one of those texts that strikes and stands out in a way that is beautiful and distinct and different. Notice with me the elements in this call where Jesus turns and he says, come to me. This is a command, come to me. This is the first step, friends, of discipleship. As we mentioned, this is a a key passage of would you desire to know Jesus? Would you desire to follow Jesus? Well, you must first come to him. You must come to him by faith. Before you can follow Jesus, you must come to him. Now, As elementary as that is, there are many this morning who are attempting to follow Jesus. But here's the problem. They haven't come to him. They're attempting to go about in the sense of the flesh, in the duties of life, and the life of the church, and the the rhythms of grace. They're trying to do it. They're trying to do Christianity. The problem is they just don't know him. They don't know the Lord of Christianity. And so hear fresh and anew, friends. Don't hear this message for, for the person here and the person here, the person here, the person here. Don't hear it for someone else. Friends, hear it for your soul this morning. Have you come to Jesus as he is, as you are? Have you come to Jesus by faith? Hear the the word of Christ this morning. Come to me. Notice this call, uh, this saving call is personal. It's private and exclusive, and yet it's also present. Verse 28, come to me. Who? You come to me. You who hear this word this morning, you who hear this message this morning, all who've ever heard this message, this is for you. You must come. You come to Christ. I invite you, come to Christ this morning. I am not Christ, but I echo the message of Christ when I say, come to Christ. Not come to me, not come to the church, not come to a program, not come to any type of duty or ministry. Come to Christ. Run to Jesus. Come to Jesus and rest in him it's personal this call is for you this morning it's not it's not for me it's not just for me i would say it's not just for someone else it's for you yes you you who are addicted you who are weary you who are morally self-righteous you who are grieving you are on and on and on we could go We can start describing sin and grief and anxieties of the soul. All of it. You. It's for you. This is a personal call. Come to Jesus. It's also exclusive. Come to him. No one else, as I've mentioned. And it's also for us who are in Christ, friends. We never leave him. It's present, continual. Come to Jesus. Abide with Jesus. And rest in Jesus all the days of your life. And not just all the days of your life but for all eternity. This is what salvation is. John chapter 17, verse 4, this is life eternal. Jesus prays to his Father for his disciples that they may know you, that they may know me, that they may know us and your Son whom you have sent. This is what salvation is. To enter into the glories of Christ, to accept his personal call, to be called of him, this exclusive call and to those of us who have to continue to abide in this call. Verse 28 Come to me. It is for those who read this and hear this. Notice what Jesus doesn't say, as I've already mentioned. Don't come to do something. Don't come to do some things for Christ. Don't go to the food pantry. Don't come to the, the clothes closet. Don't come to uh, evangelism. Don't come. So many people are trying to earn their way to Christ. They're trying to earn merit and favor in Christ by taking up the rhythms of grace, which are good in and of themselves, but that's not salvation. We don't do these things for approval with Christ. We do them because we we love Christ. So many people come so close, and yet they miss it. And they think these things, good things, all the things we could describe here this morning, we could take up a, a legal pad and pass it around and come up with probably 200 things that we used to do or are doing now or people we've known of and say yeah but this is not coming to Jesus come to Jesus well here notice what Jesus says it's exclusive come to me Christ John chapter 5 verse 40 come to me that you might have life yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father but by me except through me. Again, who is this call for? Well, going back to our text, verse 28, all you who labor and are heavy laden. This word labor means literally weary, weary of work or hardened task, What the effect of hard labor. It's the result of it, labor, a beating, exertion, weariness that is induced from heavy labor to the point of becoming exhausted and passing out. Here, Jesus is describing this spiritually, though. Come to me, all of you who are weary in this labor. You're trying to earn approval with God. You're trying to earn your salvation for God, and you are weary. You never know if it's enough. Have you prayed enough? Have you tithed enough? Have you gone to mass enough? Have you gone to all these hoops and rigmaroles? Have you heard enough preaching? Have you been to church three times this week? Have you on and on and on? Listen, all of those things are what men attempt to do in the place of coming to Christ. And they're weary. Secondly, we see who is this call for? Those who are laboring to the point of exhaustion. But notice another description Jesus gives here. Those who are heavy laden. Jesus knows his audience well, doesn't he? He's already made multiple references to how these who are here that day have been burdened down, not by the word of God, but they've been burdened down by extra biblical commands and laws and rituals. And they're looking everywhere else for salvation, except for Christ, the coming of the Messiah, as God has promised. He knows his audience well. It means overburdened. Uh, This word picture means weary of travel, uh, something carried. uh, It can even mean the freight of a ship that is sinking because the freight on that ship is just too much, and it goes under heavy laden. How many of you have often learned in your travels to learn to travel light? Uh, You know, when you first started traveling, you traveled with every suitcase you had. You got the biggest suitcase. and You put everything in there just for what ifs and and, uh, all the contingencies. But what you forgot was that everywhere you went, you had to take that luggage too. And if you've ever been on a journey like that, it's wearying. And what you'll find yourself saying is, I'll never do this again. I'm going to pack a tiny bag and just a couple of changes of clothes, and and I'm just going to travel light. We've often experienced that, heavy laden, overburdened. This is what the word means, weary of travel, something that is crushing us. But here, we understand that Jesus is describing the spiritual burdens of those who are are listening to him and those here this morning, overburdened, heavy laden within our context again, this describes the scribes and the Pharisees who've abandoned the Word of God and they've created systems and rigmarole and ceremonies and rules. Jesus regularly he's already told them he says, listen, I'm not coming to correct the word of God. you say your ceremonies, your Rigamarole, your, your on and on performance, but I say unto you, the word of God says, and he gives them the truth of scripture. Again and again, Jesus is dismantling what they think is the truth, and he says, I am the truth. He gives them the truth. Instead of coming to God and resting in his promise, they are depending upon their own performance, and what they find is, is it's never enough. The scribes say, yes, but have you tithe of your mints and your cumin and your spices and And on and on it goes. And they discover some new thing that they haven't done. And they're putting their hope and their trust and their rest in all of these things in order to appease God to please Him. They are weary. In fact, this echoes, if you remember, Matthew, going back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Again, a text that shows us not just who Jesus is and what he does, but it it gets to the heart. He was moved with compassion for them because they were, notice here, the same word, weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. A sheep having no shepherd, but yet those sheep are carrying burdens that they are not equipped to handle. It's in my memory. I cannot verify it, but I did see it with my own eyes. A while back, a video was sent to me, knowing the context of sheep, the uses of sheep in Scripture and shepherds, the terminology of a sheep that uh, got away from its owner and was gone and it was lost. And this is where the metaphor breaks down because Jesus doesn't lose his sheep, if you will. He goes after the, the one lost sheep. We understand that. But this sheep was gone, and they thought he was lost, he, whatever. And a group of individuals came across him, saw his markings. But the problem was this sheep was unrecognizable. He had not been sheared in, in years and so the burden, the weight of his body, I believe his name was Zeke. Don't quote me on that. that really matter. Uh, but one was he was literally about to be crushed physically under the weight of his coat. And so they brought him back to the shepherd. And so the, the video kind of just monologues how they, they, they sheared him of all that. It was six times his weight. He's emaciated. He's literally at the point of death. And back under the care of the shepherd, he is freed of his burden. And he is brought back to health and brought back to life. What a great illustration the effect of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Luke chapter 11, verse 46, he describes a pronouncement upon the lawyers of the day. He says, woe to you lawyers, for you load men with burdens that are hard to bear. You do not help their consciences. You do not save their soul. You do not point them to God. You load them with burdens that are hard to bear. And you yourselves do not even touch the burdens with even one of your your fingers, describing the heart of the religious leaders of Israel. Verse 52, he says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves and those who were entering. Notice here, you hindered. Sign of a false teacher is, is just more burdens and load upon load. And those who are truly seeking Jesus, they not only don't tell them about Jesus, they prevent them from understanding Jesus. Wow. Here we see that Jesus is the true shepherd who calls men to himself, all who are weary in sin, everyone who is exhausted from effort and performance, trying to find God, trying to please God their own way, the way of Cain that we see at the very beginning of the Bible that leads to death and destruction and anguish. And he calls men to himself to rest by faith, receiving his grace. Heavy laden because of weary and burdened. In 1930, a man named Joseph Crater, it's a famous unsolved mystery in American life. He had an Italian dinner with friends in New York City and enjoyed those moments. But at that point, no one knew that would be his last meal. He intended to go home, he got into a taxicab, and he was never seen again. The mystery began to circulate. People began to look and search, and theories began to emerge because of the fact that he was a Supreme Court judge and justice. Could it be a former client or some type of ruling and enemies coming against him? Was it the mafia, which he was very famously working against? They found a note in his home with a check for his wife, and all the note said was simply this I am so very weary. Love, Joe. Never to be found again. One of the most famous unsolved crimes in, again, American history. Friends, are you weary this morning? I have no doubt that your weariness is different than someone else's weariness. I have no doubt that what you are struggling with is different than other people around you. But all of us have the same need. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us need the same answer. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So man says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, Another aspect of this call as we look here in verse 28 is notice what Jesus does not say. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Notice here rest and more about that in verse 29. But notice Christ does not say, come to me, all you who need help, self-improvement, and I will give you more steps to follow. That is what so many pastors and preachers and teachers and Christians are trying to do today. We're, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the resources, about everything around the periphery or, or effort and those types of things. But have we met Christ? Do they know Christ? Have we introduced them to him? What Jesus here is doing is not how-to-ism, but soul rest that he describes. This word rest means physical rest spiritually rest. At its heart, it means to be spiritually refreshed. Literally, I will rest you. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will rest your soul. You who are anxious, addicted, burdened, weary, come to me, I will rest you. This is the work of Christ. You come, hear the call. He'll open your heart, respond to the message, and enter into the joy of the bread of life. This speaks of spiritual refreshment, reviving. This is a continual call, friends, for all of us. Have you ever lost your way? Have you ever just gotten off track and you're a born-again child of God? You have experienced this rest. You have tasted and seen of the goodness of the Lord. You have. But things are not right. What's wrong? Where Where did you get off track? Come to Jesus, be revived and refreshed. Literally, let him rest you. Bring about this refreshment within you. Could it be that you're distracted by other things? For example, Luke chapter 12, verse 19, the rich man thinks he has control of his stuff, but yet his stuff has control of him. He thought he could rest. In fact, he tells his soul, my soul, he's going to build barns. He's got so much stuff. His business is expanding, and he, he's, he's, looking for the, he's living for the here and now, and so there's no problem to build barns. It's no problem to continue to advance the kingdom of God, but this man is not advancing the kingdom of God. This man is advancing him, his agenda, his own ambitions and plans, and he says, my soul, and then the Lord says, you are not aware that your soul will be required of you even tonight he had no time for his soul he had no time for the rest of christ because he's encumbered about with the things of this world secondly verse 29 we see this is a sanctifying command there's the opening call that jesus gives it's a call to come be with him and before we move on from that i just want to say this finally we must be with Christ before we can work for Christ. Again, just want to nail that home. In fact, the reason true worship is expressed and manifested through service is because we love Him, because we've been with Him. It's not for salvation, but it's because of salvation. Because He's loved us, because He's changed us, because He's bought us. We desire to live our life for Him, and that's exactly what Jesus says. Notice point number two, is this is a sanctifying command. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is it that we learn? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's two commands here in this text. The first one here is take my yoke upon you. And the second one is learn from me. This is the essence of discipleship, friends. So many people look at Jesus as a a token to do, oh yeah like a praying of a prayer. Hey, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I did that one time. And the way they reference it is, uh, I went to church last Sunday, so that's like something I did, something we do. Or are you a Christian? Yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was 15, and and, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. There's, There's not this understanding of entering into the presence and the life of Christ, taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. He says, for I am gentle and lowly. The first command we see is to take, to take his yoke upon us. Now, that's interesting because in verse 28, the the tenor of the text is you're burdened, you're weary, you're heavy laden. And yet here he tells us to take his yoke upon us. But friends, his yoke is not the same as the burdens we once carried. The yoke of Christ is not to be equated with sin and anxiety and addiction and all the uh, the problems of the soul that we deal with have to mortify in this life. He is a gracious shepherd. He is a gracious master. This word, take my yoke. If you know know what a yoke is, it is uh, a tool for farm animals, typically oxen. There's not just one oxen. So people hear this and they think, okay, wait a second, wait a second. You're telling me to to put a yoke uh, around my neck? Friends, you gotta understand what he's referring to is by way of a metaphor is enter into. He, he will be with you. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you. He has a call upon your life. To come to Jesus means that he has saved you for his purposes. He, he's not just savior, he's Lord. And either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Come to him, take his yoke, and it will it's where you will find true freedom. True rest together joined with Christ in the yoke. A yoke is not just one oxen, but a yoke is two oxen. And if I understand it correctly from those who used to use such things, and history books tell us that most farmers, when they would use these yokes and oxen in the ancient world, they never would take two strong oxen. They were always trying to build up strengthen up the weaker oxen. And so they would take their best oxen and take a weaker oxen and they would put them together just by way of practical analogy. And the other one would enter into that yoke with the greater, the stronger one It would learn and grow, become mature and be able to follow through with the will of the master. Jesus is saying, come to me, take my yoke. And then notice that second command, learn from me. This is the essence of discipleship, friends. Uh, To be a disciple is to grow, to learn, a continual learner. Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in grace as Peter commands us to? As we see again and again in the New Testament, are you growing in the knowledge and intimacy of the Messiah, his purposes for your life? Are you living for him? Are you learning of him? When you come to read your Bible, whenever you do that, in the morning, evening, when you spend time in God's word, is it to know him more? Is it because you love him or is it just to check the box? Is it just to get done? Is it just to say you did it? I read my Bible every day. Well, listen, so did Nicodemus. Yet yeah, Nicodemus wasn't born again. Nicodemus was faithful. He, he was a moral man. He, he looked right, did right, went right. The problem was he just didn't know Christ. When you come to God's word, do you have a desire that cannot be satiated by any other source but from by Christ himself? This is, what, this is what we mean, present, continual. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. And it's in this duty that we see both the light and duty enjoined. The world offers a duty to us in sin. Satan offers a, a duty to us that never fulfills. But Christ's duty is not the same. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said, my duty and my delight that they were opposite before since I have met him, since I've seen his beauty, they've joined to never part anymore. They're they the same. My duty, my loves, my affections are the same. My duty and my delight are found in service to my king. Real quick, just quickly, it's a verse we often will refer to Ephesians 2 verse uh, 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We'll begin there in verse 8. Just reminds us about this yoke and this grace that God has called us to. Paul writes, and he says, Ephesians 2 8 through 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 gives us maybe some amplification of part about this yoke he calls us to. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is Paul's understanding, amplification of what Jesus is describing. Come to him, take his yoke upon you, and you will find rest. In fact, you will find the ultimate fulfillment of why you are created. Your creator God who's made you, sustained you, designed you, When you come to Jesus, you are aligned with your creator's purposes for your soul, for your life. Friends, this is true rest. Augustine said it like this, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our souls are restless until we find our rest in you. Lastly, number three this morning. Notice the satisfying promise that Jesus gives. There's the opening call to rest that we find in Verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And notice the first mention, and I will give you rest. Then we got to see verse 29. Then we come to verse 30. He gives further amplification on what this yoke and rest is. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, listen, the temptation of Satan is that if you come to Jesus, you're going to miss out. If you fully submit to the claims and the call of Christ, everybody else is going to have all the fun. Uh, That's where the good life is. Listen, the commercials don't show you the end of the story, do they? They make adultery glamorous. They don't show you the crying children, the broken home. Uh, Television has a way of glamorizing everything that We know is out there they will make drugs and alcohol look fun and glamorous and this is where it's at. But they don't show you the people who've lost all their teeth and the vitality of life completely sat from them because of that yoke, that bondage. The whisper and temptation of Satan is simply this don't go to Jesus. Your life will be miserable. And friends, I want you to know this morning, come to Jesus. This is what life is. This is what life is designed to be. This is the essence of life, not only in the here and now salvation, but for all eternity. If you want to know how things are supposed to work, come to the one who authored and designed it. As we saw last week, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Friends, every time we have tasted of sin, we were reminded That it does not deliver. Does not deliver. And yet, Jesus gives us this satisfying promise you will find rest for your souls when you come to me. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light, because there are no places or rooms or trials that you will go through that I have not already gone through, and that I will not go through with you again, that I will not give you grace upon grace to bear. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John says, His commandments are not burdensome. They are not grievous. They are life. So again, this morning as we close, would you hear the call of Jesus? Come to me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Many years ago, Joseph Hart wrote the classic hymn: Come ye sinners, poor and needy and i want to close with this this morning he says come ye sinners poor and needy weak and wounded sick and sore jesus ready stands to save you full of pity love and power come ye weary heavy laden lost and ruined by the fall if you tarry till you're better you will never come at all here's the chorus i will arise and go to jesus he will embrace me in His arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Come to Jesus and rest in Him. Let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gospel call, this key passage of discipleship. And Father, our prayer here this morning is that we would heed this call for our own souls. And Father, I pray that for those of us who are in Christ would never depart from this call. Father in the school of faith that we would continue to learn of you, experience and taste of the goodness of the Lord. Father to learn of your essence, your character, your attributes, to value, to treasure them. Father, would you and This is a serious prayer that we would pray this morning. Father, would you come By your spirit, would you remove anything that is a hindrance to this call in our life? Now, Father, we're careful to pray this prayer because it's a serious prayer. We desire to come to you and experience and taste the rest of not only salvation, but continual growth and sanctification in you. We pray, Father, that you would identify stumbling blocks, hindrances, And give us the grace to lay aside as we have seen every weight which so easily detains us, besets us in this race of faith. Father, help us to taste of the rest that you provide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.